Masonic Life Podcast. This is Past Master Moyer calling with my review slash critique of episode 114 entitled The Hosts Become the Hosted. This is a really interesting episode. Uh, where are we getting here? Let's see. Tim, uh, I believe you introduced Jeff Borowski, the District Deputy Grand Master of the 59th Masonic District. Then you introduced Rob Brink as the uh, Right Worshipful Senior Grand Warden, not the Right Worshipful Junior Grand Warden. So I, I suggest the next time you run into Larry Durer at your valley in Harrisburg, you should apologize to him for that mistake. I really enjoyed the discussion about the Blue Lodge meetings, and Rob mentioned a number of times they shouldn't be a funeral. I couldn't agree more. We don't have enough fun. I know my lodge is very dry sometimes, but we try and make it fun, but we're not always successful. Dutchy Doug, Broken Plow, Broken Plow Lodge number 377. Groundhog story was hilarious. The blue pill given to the groundhog by mistake. They ended up with a bunch of friends with benefits. That was hilarious. Brother Cronkite, I've been hearing also dry cleaning costs have been going up. Um, didn't give any thought to the need for more tailors, but I'm sure all of us have put a few pounds on since since last March. And finally, Larry Maris. Well, the one good thing about this episode, you didn't use the word awesome or amazing at all. But at the end, that was just totally stupid. I forget what you call that tailor's name, Hugh something, Hugh Jack, I don't know. And then the head of the, uh, whatever that group is for uh, some kind of anxiety group for this Masonic Light podcast, I don't know. Again, it was stupid, Larry. Just, Just shut up. Just sit back and listen to the episodes. Keep your mouth shut. I'll be in touch, guys. Have a good one. From the new recording lair located deep beneath the Wine and Spirit Store in Ephrata, Pennsylvania. You're listening to the Masonic Light Podcast. Studio 665 presents Masonic Light Podcast. This show is recorded by Masons, for Masons, and is for entertainment purposes only. And please, no wagering. This podcast is not endorsed by any Grand Lodge, and the ridiculous ramblings of the hosts are their own. And now, here's your host. Hello, everybody. Welcome. We're at episode 105 of Masonic Light Podcast. Wait, wait, wait. wait, 100, wait, wait. What? 115. 115. That <laughs> was a decade what? ago. Another social drink. Social drink. Another social drink. Social drink. So uh, we have a guest tonight, um, and he was actually my first line signer into the Masons. Oh. And uh, he has <laughs> oh, a... Oh, we can blame him. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, so John, you're, you've indirectly signed up like 250 Masons now. So now I'm kind of a big deal. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> so, uh, um, 
we'll get back to John in a second. John, um, well, I'll mention what his career is, why I want to talk to him. He is a, a PGA golf professional. And so he's basically been working in adult daycare for the past 20 years. That would be the right way to put it. Nice. So uh, we're going to hear a little bit about that. But before we do, Tim, why don't you tell us about who makes our show possible? Well, Pete, our patrons on Patreon keep this show going. Uh, We are grateful for each and every one of them. And for as little as $1 a month. $1. One measly dollar. You can support the wonderful content that you have coming out of this august group. Uh, We also have other uh, various levels that you can contribute. Uh, So check that out on patreon.com slash Masonic Light Podcast. And if you're planning your estate, we'll take those two. We would be pleased to be a part of that. (laughs) All right. So what we do now, John, it's usually pretty short because, you know, because of COVID, uh, we go around and we see if anybody's had anything exciting happening in their lives on the Masonic side. So Tim, you're a secretary. You've probably been busy. What have you been up to? Well, we had a stated meeting uh, since our last episode. Uh, we had f- 37 people, I believe it was, at the meeting, which was great. Uh, really great turnout. Uh, we had a blood drive in which we had, I forget how many, but it was like 40 or 50 people uh, donate. Um, I have attended a stating meeting, a stated meeting at the Valley of Harrisburg. Uh, and also AMD Council met last Saturday night. So it's been a busy time, and we're getting ready for our official visit coming up here in a couple of weeks. So been very busy. Larry, did uh, you get back to Goose and Gridiron yet or not? I did not personally get back, uh, but they are meeting. They uh, Brian Hill reported they have about 10 guys coming uh, every Thursday now. So I plan on going over tomorrow for a little bit i have a 10 o'clock appointment so i'm going to go over and have a cup of coffee and get out of there so yeah i will be attending tomorrow jack have you been up to anything uh i haven't been but i'm going to be so i think we talk about that at the end of this thing right that's correct so i will i will hold off john have you done anything masonically what was the most masonic thing you've done lately uh probably played golf with you in myrtle beach Ah. <laughs> and and the infamous George Grove. It was a uh, very the Masonic. Infamous, the one and only George Grove. Yes. Who is a sponsor of this program? Wow, I'm impressed. And we're yes. or, or was a couple of years ago, right? Yeah. <laughs> as long as he takes me golfing to private clubs, I'm good. So what have I done? Um, I was up at the Valley of Reading last week, and we film or not films videotaped. The Feast of the Paschal Lamb. Um, the Knights of Rose Croix every year put on this as a uh, memorial service to the members that have uh, passed in the past year. And we weren't able to do it last year because of COVID. So this year we did it and we videotaped it. And Brother Ken Bray of uh, Lodge 43, he did all the magic with the cameras. Uh, Seth Anthony did all the planning and I'll probably have it shared on our website by the time this video or this uh, podcast comes out. Great. All right. So we'll take a quick break and we're going to come back and we're going to talk to uh, Brother John Siebelist, PGA and uh, tennis pro. He just is very, very, very fit or something. 
It's all adult daycare. <laughs> Why choose George J. Grove & Sons for your next home improvement project? At George J. Grove & Sons, we've built our reputation on quality and trust for more than 50 years. For planning to materials to installation, George J. Grove promises a home improvement experience second to none. Whether your goal is reducing energy costs, decreasing maintenance, updating curb appeal, or simply increasing the value of your home, the George J. Grove team will recommend and provide solutions that stand the test of time. Call 717-393-0859 for an estimate or visit us at georgejgrove.com. back with our guest uh, john hey john um so tell our listeners how you and i met uh so you and i met in college uh we were fraternity brothers at uh, omicron gamma omega and uh we had a lot of mutual friends you know via the fraternity and uh you know that's how i really got to know you through uh, mark palovitz uh fraternity that's really where i met you and then uh, years later, um, you ran into me somewhere and you asked me, um, or no, I think I was talking to you about some creepy show I just watched. And uh, you says, oh, would you like to learn more about that creepy stuff? Yeah. So, yeah, I, let me back it up. So I was, the creepy show, um, it was something on like the History Channel and it was about Freemasonry and... Uh, you know, really, I was a history major in college, so it really piqued my interest. I was dating this gal um, at the time. Her father is one of our departed past uh, past master of Lamberton. At the, yeah, Elon Faust. So, um, you know, I it, it spawned an interest, and then uh, Elon brought me into the lodge, and uh, I went through all the degree work and up the York side, up the Scottish side. Um, and then, you know, you start having kids in a family and you got to work and, you know, that's what life happens. So, uh, but I, I loved it. I've loved every bit of it. You know, I've met great people. Um, for me, the special part was knowing that I'm linked with our founding fathers and, you know, many of the great men that started our whole country. So that to me was like the juice. It was just to be connected with those guys in some way, shape or form. Very cool. I remember uh, when we did our uh, York Wright degree without without it giving away any uh, evil secrets. We were supposed to go look for something, and you and I wanted to go to House of House of Pizza next door and look for it there, where we could have a beer. We said if we could have a do over, uh, <laughs> I think we were supposed to go find something. And you and I, in our wisdom, said in our humor, funny sense of humor, said, "Oh, well, we should have just bolted out of the lodge." And yeah, going down to the local pizza shop, had a pizza and a beer, trying to find whatever we were trying to find. Yeah, but some overachiever found it, so. Yeah, there's always one in every crowd. 
So um, how did you get involved in, uh, in golf? And uh, how did you decide to make that your career? So I was, um, I, I was playing a, a lot of amateur golf. It, it was something that I kind of took up after college. And, um, you know, playing other sports, I just was able to kind of pick it up. And I was kind of chopping around for a couple of years. And then I got better. And if any of you play golf, you understand, you know, kind of you go in plateaus and, you know, my plateaus just kept getting a little bit better. And then I got serious and joined a club and I started uh, Tanglewood in Quarryville and I started, you know, playing a lot of golf there. And then I stepped up and joined Media Heights and my, my golf got a little bit better there. Uh, professionally at the time, I was working for an insurance company and my mentor at this company um, was captain of the UVA golf team and, uh, you know, so I was that guy in the office that had a putting green and a, and a <laughs> chipping green. And, you know, I was always making like hands-free phone calls with clients uh, and working on my chipping and my putting. And this company was sponsoring me to go play golf tournaments because the whole office played golf. It was part of the corporate culture. Uh, they were all golfers at, at a local private club in Lancaster and, um, you know, they encouraged it and it was, the timing was right. It was the early nineties and golf was just starting to really take off. Tiger had not yet, uh, you know, established himself. He was still cleaning up on the amateur level, but golf was on the rise and I was playing all these outings. I was probably playing, you know, two outings a week, three outings a week to give you an idea of how much golf I was playing. I was playing 180 rounds of golf at my club alone okay and then i was playing another 60 rounds competitively all throughout the state in the mid-atlantic region playing tournaments long story short my boss at this company said hey you know this golf thing is like really your thing it really juices you up he goes you're more passionate about golf than you are coming in here and doing this stuff he goes why don't you just go do it he goes you're you're That's the nicest way to fire you i've ever heard well, yeah, yeah, and he was, I mean, and this guy was a great guy. He's one of the top guys I've ever met in my life. He was a Naval Academy grad. He was the GA of my company, um, you know, and really fully encouraged me and supported me. And he said, look, if I was your age, he goes, you know, I'm in my mid-20s at the time. He goes, you're not married. You don't have kids. He goes, go do it. He goes, go, you know, go take your shot. So that's that's really how this all started. I was playing all this golf and a friend of mine, a mutual friend of Pete and I, uh, no longer with us, uh, Mark said, you know, John, you're, you're really good at this thing. You should, you should really, uh, take a, take a shot at it. So, um, I did, my goal was never to become a, like Tiger Woods on tour. My goal was to become a top 100 teaching pro, uh, because I've always liked teaching and helping people, um, I was a good player, but when you get out there and you realize how good these guys really are, uh, you know, I, I was just a good player. I mean, the, the caddies on tour are scratch players. That gives you an idea. Scratch doesn't mean anything professionally. Like if you're not a plus three or four, forget it. And at my best, I was only a plus two. So my bread and butter was really helping others get into the game and explain it to them and, and, that's what I love. I mean, that's what really kind of got me up and out of bed in the morning. So does that help you answer? Your yeah. What's, what is the process? Like if, um, 
so I mean, to be a PGA pro, you're I guess are accredited through the PGA. So how yeah. how does one go about getting that done? Okay, so there's a couple of different roads that you can go. Uh, any one of us could like ante up the 250 bucks now to um, you know sign up for an event. And if you, by the grace of God, want it and accepted cash money, you now are a professional golfer. Uh, you know, theoretically, you could win the U.S. Open, but probably not. Um, so you can do that. You can go um, through the PGA program. The PGA has an apprentice program. And it's three steps. Uh, they probably borrowed it from the, the Masonic lodges. <laughs> There's a ton of Masons in the PGA. I mean, I don't have to tell you that. Uh, so, you know, you, you basically have three schools and you have level one, level two, level three. And each school is designed to teach you the basic rudiments of, they want you to be prepared that if they tapped you on the shoulder or called you up and said, hey, we need a pro at, X country club or X resort or X club somewhere in the country or the world for that matter. They want somebody that they can just call and, and they can go off and run the show. So the way it works is the way I did it, you, you go through level one and they teach you how to, you learn how to grip clubs and you learn how to merchandise and you learn how to run, you know, the, the food and beverage service, just enough to be dangerous. You don't necessarily have to do it, but you got to know like, kind of the overview of what to do, um, how to, how to take care of, you know, carts and maintain them and, and that kind of stuff, how to take care of the driving range and how to teach lessons, um, you know, how to run member events, how to do scoring. Um, you know, there's a course tournament preparation, you know, how to mark up a course and how to cut pins a certain way for, you know, for tournaments. So you learn everything that you need to know, in the three-year apprentice program. And it's literally, it's like school one, school two, school three. And while you're doing this, you're of course working at a club. You could be working at like say Overlook in Lancaster, or you could be working at Lancaster Country Club, or you could be working at Lancaster Host Resort, just to put it in a local perspective. And you work under the auspices of a head professional and he kind of signs off on your work. Uh, you know, So you're getting so many shop hours you're teaching, you're playing, you're just immersed in golf for three years. I mean, it's nonstop. Um, my whole thing was I didn't really care about running a shop. I didn't want to fold shirts and sell merchandise. Like that's not my thing. I didn't really care about tournament operations and all that, you know, entering scores and computers and figuring out handicaps. And some guys love that stuff. I'm not, you know, that's not me. I wanted to be out on the range working with like all of you, helping each one of you get better at golf. Because to me, that's how you grow the game. You know, it's not about selling the shirt at a dozen balls or that stuff. It's about helping any one of you get better at the game that we all love. So that was my juice. That's what really got me out of bed in the morning. And I loved it. I mean, I could, I just absolutely, you know, loved it. And I joked it was adult daycare, but you know, people are like, it's a great work environment. You know, you're working on, you get up, put on a polo shirt and a pair of khakis, go to a golf course. People are happy to see you because you're going to help them. After you've helped them, they're really happy. So they go away even happier. So it's just like a win-win for everybody. And then you get paid to do this stuff. Like sometimes I couldn't even believe I was getting paid to do this. Um, and there's a lot of perks and bennies with it. And um, 
every, you know, so then when you get through the school, the PGA wants you to work at, they want you to have experience at all three kinds of facilities. So uh, I went to um, Sea Island, Georgia, where the, uh, the cloister is. That's a world-class five-star resort. So I worked, I was an instructor for the Gulf Digest schools. So that, that kind of checked off my resort uh, experience. Then I went to uh, West Palm Beach, Florida and worked at Ibis Country Club. There was my private uh, then I came back home to Pennsylvania. I worked, um, I was at Fox Chase, you know, uh, locally there in um, Denver Stevens area. Um, so, you know, I, I had a, a little sampling of everything and, you know, that's, there's advantages and pluses and minuses to all of it, you know, but it's all collectively a great experience. Does that answer your question? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, right. it's great when we have a guest like you that you just keep talking. We can just sit here and nod. Well, yeah, I don't want to like take anybody else's airtime. I just, you know, I can talk. No, you're day. actually, you're better at this than we are. So you just keep going. Okay. Well, so, um, you know, down in, uh, Ibis in Florida, you know, that was a 36 hole facility. Huge. You know, I mean, I grew up in Lancaster where 18 holes was, you know, that was a normal course. This facility had 18, 36 holes, and they were building another 18 holes on the premises of this property. It was ginormous. And, um, you know, down there, it was, uh, it was funny. The, the guy that was my boss there was an F was an FNM graduate. And, uh, you know, when I walked in there from, you know, little old Lancaster and he was like, yeah, you can start tomorrow. So it's connections, you know, like the Masonic connections, who, you know, uh, real funny story, Pete. I shared this with you uh, when we were in Myrtle, but I'll share it with everyone. This, this would be good for uh, one of our friends named Dutchy Doug would like this part. Yeah. So I'm working on the tarmac, um, you know, and when you start in the PGA, I mean, they have you, you're, you're washing dirty dish, not washing dishes, but you know, you're doing everything under the sun. I mean, if they need to pull 50 carts out of the barn, you go do it. If they need somebody to go pick the driving range, you get in the tractor and you go do it. If you, you know, if they need somebody to cover the shop, just, you know, stand at the register and take money from people walking in to pay greens fees, you do it. Um, you know, if you need to run the junior golf program on a Saturday morning, you do it. it. You get to learn all this stuff, though, and it's invaluable. So I'm on the tarmac. We call it the tarmac because it was this huge concrete pad. And by huge, I mean, it could fit 150 golf carts. So think that's how big. So I'm loading bags, you know, there's, at this facility, there was, um, gosh, there was two head pros, there was a director, two head pros, each pro had three assistants, and then under him were, you know, the cart guys, the maintenance guys, the whole, it's a big facility. So it's a team effort. So we're out there, I'm loading bags, and I'm in Florida, I don't know anybody, but here's the key. <laughs> I hear this guy behind me, say in a very distinctive voice and I'll do my best imitation and you guys tell me where you think this accent is from and this guy says oh I don't believe I'm gonna spend the money today on a bucket <laughs> any guesses where that accent is oh <laughs> uh, anywhere in central Pennsylvania Sorry. all right bingo so I turn around this guy is from Lebanon County uh, he, he's down in, for some reason, he's down in West Palm. Well, it turns out that's where he winters. He has a, a home there on the 15th fairway. 
I'm living in an apartment, you know, with my, with my friend from the Canadian tour and his wife, and I'm in a loft and, you know, it's great. So I, I turn around, I see this guy, I walk over and I look at his bag. I introduce myself. I see where he's a member. He's a member up in Lebanon. I introduce myself and I say, Hey, I, I used to work at Fox Chase golf course, you know, for the, for the Graybills that own the place. And he goes, Oh my God, Art, Steve, and he names the whole Graybill family. And I'm like, yeah. And so we're talking and uh, he says, well, you know, nice to meet you and this, that, and the other. And that was it. So the next day he comes back and comes up to me and he said, he goes, Oh, I called Art Graybill and Steve Graybill and they say, you're a fine fellow. You know, like, you know, they gave me a nice recommendation. He said, I'd like to invite you. He goes, if you're living down here and you need a space to live, he goes, come stay at my house on the 15th fairway. Okay. Now this isn't just a little shanty. This is like a four car garage. He has his own elevator. He's got a swimming pool. He's got everything. He's got to live in cook. He's got to live in uh, cleaner, the whole works, everything. And he goes, really, it's no trouble. It's just my wife and I, and you know, the household staff, these other two people. And I'm like, okay, because I was commuting, you know, 20 minutes up the A1A, I think it was, you know, and then down the Beeline Highway to get to work. So it was like every day, it was like half an hour for me to get to, from, from Jupiter, Florida, to, to the club. So now, now I'm living at this guy's house. I'm driving one of his golf carts to work. <laughs> I mean, my, my friends at this club are beside themselves because when you go past this house, it's ginormous. I, it looks like, you know, it, it's crazy big. It's crazy glamorous. It, it's, it's fantastic. Um, and meanwhile, my fiance up in Lancaster, uh, our past master's uh, daughter, she thinks I'm living, you know, the life of squalor in this apartment. And I've since moved to Millionaire Acres with, you know, the, into this guy's house. And I was only there for two months, but it, it, it really made my stay there a lot nicer and, and way better, way better. Yeah, I'm guessing all your coworkers at your same level were, uh, you know, it's like living in Brookwood, like in a college apartment with three or four guys. Yeah. And then I went to go live in like Caputo's house while everybody was living in Brooklyn. You know what I mean? It just got crazy good for me. Uh, but it was just As a magic. side note. Are, are you aware that uh, so uh, Caputo was the president of our university when we were there? Dave Hemmerly of our fraternity owns that house now. Yeah, I I parked on his lawn unknowingly uh, when I was there, you know, like the first time I drove on campus, I just, you know, I was, in, I was late for a class and had to park and I just literally parked on his lawn and not, they wrote me a nice note, just said like, Hey, we know you're a student, please don't park here anymore. <laughs> so I got away with it. Oh, that's awesome. Let's take a quick break and we're going to come back. We're going to hear a little bit more from uh, John about his, I don't know, escapades as a golf pro. As far back as the mid-1800s, records exist describing the pre-meaning tradition of brethren smoking cigars during and after gatherings. To this day, the practice of smoking cigars remains very much alive in many lodges. This custom is considered a time for brethren to relax, exchange ideas, and enjoy the simplicity and fellowship that is the very essence of our brotherhood. 
This is what Hireman Solomon Cigars is all about. Our starting principles are to bring Masonic brethren together in the harmony of a good cigar. Pull up a chair, sit back, light up any of our premium cigars, and enjoy the history. Hireman Solomon Cigars can be found at fine cigar retailers. For a complete list, visit HiremanSolomonCigars.com or check them out on social media to find out when they'll be at a live event near you. Hireman Solomon Cigars is pleased to be the official cigar of the Masonic Light Podcast. Were you in high school? Were you like like loading bags at uh, the Lancaster Host or something? So that was actually when I was at Millersville. That was when I was at Millersville and I needed a, you know, it was like a summer job. And I went to work for um, Howard Kramer out at the host. And uh, he was a great boss. I mean, everybody was really kind of afraid of him. And, um, you know, I never had a problem with him because for me, it was just, you know, yes, sir, no, sir. Like whatever you need done, I just did it. You know, that was just my work ethic and the way I, I was always on time. I got, you know, I got there early, left late, that kind of guy. So, and Howard was, you know, um, he was just very uh, blunt, you know, he would just say, this is what I need done. And if you got your work done, he didn't care. Once your work was done, he was like, well, go grab a golf cart and go play golf. Just stay away from the guests. Don't get in anybody's way. Go play golf the rest of the day. So that's what we did. So the whole summer, you know, I'd get there at five o'clock in the morning or five thirty, you know, load 50 bags. And as soon as all the members and everybody was out playing and everything was done, you know, probably like around 10 o'clock, I mean, we just hit the course and off we went. So again, you know, like I would have done that for free. And then people were tipping us to load bags. <laughs> I mean, you know, it was like. And they're tipping you with a New York, New York tips on a Lancaster budget. Right. Yeah. I mean, vice yeah, versa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. New Yorkers it. coming down and, you know, they're, they're throwing you a $5 bill just to put their bag on the cart. And I'm like, geez, you know, you do that. It's just unbelievable. You know, when you're in college and you walk home and you've got, you know, $60, $70 cash in your pocket, you're like, it doesn't get any better than this. Yeah, the, le- the last time I played the host, I walked off of 16 after five and a half hours. Uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. We've all been there. Yeah. So... Anyway, um, I do have a couple more stories I, I, I want to share with you guys that I, I think are funny. That just uh, I still laugh at laugh at them. Um, so I'm working at this. Uh, can I say where I was working in Lancaster, or should I like just say a club? No, if you yeah. want to piss them off, that's all. I'll tell you what club it wasn't. It wasn't at Lancaster. It wasn't Conestoga. It wasn't Media. But it was a private club. Mm. So I'm working, I'm working at this club and. Uh, this fellow uh, comes in and he's a owner of a business. He's, he's the, the guy and he has a lot of money and he says, Hey, I want to learn to play golf. Hook me up, you know? So he's Mr. Big and he comes in with big fat checkbook and he buys the best clubs. He buys the best shoes, the best bag. You know, he gets like a tour bag leather. He buys leather foot joys, you know, like real expensive shoes. He buys the best of everything. So he, <laughs> he gets his bag, his clubs come in. This, this guy puts his clubs in the bag wrong. He puts the heads in first. Okay, so we fixed that. Our nickname for this guy was Mr. Magoo. I mean, <laughs> he wore glasses that were like that thick. 
Uh, he had more money than more money than dirt, but just like no common sense. I mean, professionally, he was very good at what he did because he was the boss. I mean, it was his company. But you know, he just didn't know anything about golf. So he so he takes his golf balls. He buys a dozen golf balls, and there's all these nice pockets on his bag. He takes the balls out and starts dumping them into by the sleeve. Starts dumping them into the center of the golf bag. And we're in this pro shop looking, we're looking at each other like, what in the hell is this guy doing? We walk over, we're like, stop here. Look here, there's a pocket here. And and he looks and he's like, Oh my God, that's amazing. Who who put that pocket? That's amazing. You know, I'm like, Yeah, there's there's five of them, and you can put all your stuff in. <laughs> so we show this guy like how to load his bag up. Oh, oh, so the shoes. So he buys these shoes, and these are top drawer shoes, leather sold foot joys, 300 bucks, easy. He, he, walks, <laughs> he walks into the pro shop with one, and he goes, and this is back when medals were in. So he goes, uh, yeah, I really like these shoes. And we're like, great. He goes, I want to wear these out of here. And we're like, well, it has metal spikes. He goes, yeah, I want the spikes removed. He goes, uh, I just want to wear them out of here. And we just, again, we're all like looking at each other like, really? you like, is he just jerking with us or is this like really how he is? And so the head pro's like, you heard the man. So I take the pair of shoes. I go down the hallway to, we had a, a shoe guy, you know, at the club. He would like shine your shoes, change spikes, all that kind of stuff. And I tell him like, uh, I'm like, hey, Tom, um, you know, Mr. Magoo here wants the spikes out and he wants to wear these shoes out to work. Tom looks at me like, you got to be kidding me. Like, who does that? I'm like, this guy takes, takes the drill gun, takes all the spikes out, puts putty or puts a filler in the holes of the shoe. I take the shoes back up. Mr. Magoo puts the shoes on, walks out of the club, wore his saddle shoes to work. We told they are comfortable him, shoes, though. Gotta say. He just liked the way they look. He liked the way they felt. <laughs> His money, done. So I, I probably had the most patience of anybody on the staff. It's time for Mr. Magoo to have his playing lesson. Uh, so <laughs> we're on the first tee, and I'm explaining to this guy, like, here's the cart path. He hits the ball down the fairway. He goes, okay, now what do we do? I'm like, well, we get back in the cart down the fairway. And he never saw a golf path, a golf cart path. So we're on the cart path. We get done with the first hole. He goes, where do we go? I'm like, see that cart path? We just keep following the path. He just thought that was amazing. Um, like that there was a, a little highway for golf carts that went the whole way around. You know, like you and I, we all just would be like, where's this guy come from? This is a millionaire. I mean, this guy is incredibly successful. Um, he's the guy you would want working for you at tax time because that was his business. Um, I'm working with him, same guy, on the lesson tee one time. And most people, you know, they come and they want to cure a slice or learn how to draw the ball or something like that. This guy's question, he looked at his golf club. He looked at my golf club. And on the golf club, you know, the little grooves, right, on your golf clubs? He counts his grooves and he counts mine. My club has one more groove than his. Why? That's the question. He picks up a golf ball and he looks at the dimple 
And he's like, how many dimples do you think are on this golf ball? And I said, why don't you go home and count them? He's a tax guy. What do you think he did? Counted them. He counted. He took out, he took out a pen, a red felt pen, and he put a dot and he counted every, he would dot the dot and then you make a mark and count them all up. <laughs> to what end? Right. I mean, <laughs> you know, there were two people when I was teaching that I really did not like working with. And it's just the way their brains work. And God bless them. And forgive me if any one of you are CPAs or engineers, but they just literally would suck the life juice. They would just, it was terrible. I mean, they would ask questions like, what's the temperature in the grass in the fairway? Who cares? How many dimples on a ball? It doesn't matter. How, how deep are the grooves on your club? Who it doesn't matter. You know, like just hit the ball. Um, <laughs> they would just take all the joy out of it. So if I ever found out someone was an engineer or, uh, you know, like a tax person, I would like, I would refer them to someone else. Well, hopefully Mr. Magoo's not a Mason and won't ever listen to this show. So that- No, I don't think he is. Even if he is, I don't care at this point. It, you know. So anyway, yeah, there was a lot of, um, yeah, the golf business is replete with shenanigans and malarkey and stories and hilarity, just absolutely hysterical. Um, now you've also taken um, a, some guys from here, from Lancaster, over to Scotland a couple of times in Ireland. Yes. Yeah. So, so yeah. Tell us about that. So when I was in the business um, and I was a teaching pro and, you know, I was playing, I was playing on you know, Mondays and playing a lot of programs and, you know, playing in sectional events and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, I liked it. I mean, I was a decent player. I was by no means the best in, you know, on the whole field. There, there's just so much talent out there. I mean, the, the level of, ability in the country of golf is just astonishing. You know, I mean, when you think you're that good, there's a thousand guys that can just beat you, not even break a sweat. Um, and then those guys, you know, a guy like Tiger would just turn those guys upside down and just completely trash them. Any tour pro would trash these guys. So this, this business that Pete's talking about, um, there was a travel guy and he said, he called our, our section and he had a deal. And it was like, basically, if you can get eight to 16 of your friends, uh, we'll set up a trip to go to Ireland, Scotland, and we'll play all these great courses. So I kind of took it and ran with it and started my own little business called All Guys, All Golf, All the Time. And it was just every year I would take people over to Ireland and Scotland. And we drew up a, a, uh, a list of the top 100 Lynx golf courses in the world. Well, it turns out that the majority of them are over in the UK. They're in Ireland, Scotland, Wales, England. And the reason for that is that Lynx golf is legally, it's, it's non-arable land adjacent to the sea. So basically, you know, it, it couldn't be used for farming. They, they couldn't build on it. It was too close to the ocean. The soil wasn't stable. Animals couldn't do anything with it, but just kind of burrow into the sand to get protection from the elements. So that's where all these great golf courses were built. They were built on lynx land or non-arable land adjacent to the sea. And the way it fostered itself was the railways went around the periphery of these, these countries, you know, Ireland, England, Scotland, 
and little towns grew up next to the town golf course, you know, hotel, a bar, golf course, usually in that order. And uh, over time, you know, that's really where golf started. Um, and then when it came over here to this country, the first courses were, you know, down by the ocean, but we had more land and we, we just, we could put them anywhere. So we, you know, we have park golf course, parkland, um, you know, mountain courses down here in Charleston, we have, you know, low country courses, I mean, there's courses everywhere. But getting back to my trips, uh, I would take, you know, eight to 16 guys and we'd go play for 10 days in a row. Um, you know, you'd fly over uh, Aer Lingus uh, mid-September, 10 days of golf. You'd play 18 to 36 a day. We'd get up every morning at, um, you know, like six o'clock, uh, six, six o'clock. We'd have a team breakfast at 6.37. We were on a, a bus or a chauffeured, uh, like, limousine bus to our golf course. Uh, we'd play, have drinks, two-hour ride back. Of course, the bus ride back, we're playing backgammon, we're playing poker, we're, you know, drinking, um, sleeping, whatever. And then, you know, we, everybody would go home and shower, take kind of a nap. Um, we'd have a, a team dinner over in Europe. They eat late. Um, if any of you have been over there, you know that. And uh, it's a lot of courses. And then, you know, have a nightcap and everybody was like probably in bed at 10, 10 30. Uh, Cause the next morning you were getting up and doing it all over again. Over in Ireland, there's no golf carts. So you're walking every day and they play in everything over there. If it's raining, they play. If it's windy, they play. If it's cold, they play. They play all the time um, and they don't stop. So it's. Um, you were, you had mentioned uh, the caddies, the caddies over there are a piece of work. Yeah. So they're quite irreverent. So <laughs> So uh, Grove is on a bunch of these trips, um, and there was another guy on our on our group that uh, he's no longer with us. But so we're on this tee at Valley Bunyan, and Tommy's his name, and Tommy is uh, just incredulous that we're there. I mean, he's a non-golfer. Part of the deal was this guy; he was a newspaper reporter, editor, and he said, uh, "Hey, I'll go on this trip, but you got to work with me, and you got to get me down to a respectable handicap, so you know I don't make a." A fool of myself or so I can at least enjoy myself. And I said, okay, deal. So I made him my, my pet project and I got him down to, I think I got him down to like a 16 handicap, 15, 16 handicap. So, you know, pretty good. So he's on the first tee at this uh, course, Valley Bunyan, world famous course. And he's, <laughs> he's down there looking at the grass and I mean, I'd have to go off camera, but imagine the guy kneeling, a grown man kneeling on his knees, and he's down there touching the grass. And he's like, and he called me pro. And he's like, hey, pro, look at this. Look at this grass. This grass is amazing. Have you ever seen grass like this? I'm like, Tom, yeah, it's grass. Like, big deal. So he looks up at the caddy and he goes, this grass is amazing. He goes, what kind of grass is this? And the caddy takes a, a draw of his cigarette and he goes, it's fucking green grass. Flicks the butt off of his forehead. And he goes, now hit the ball. So... They, they just don't care. So the caddies over there, uh, there was a couple times. We, we showed up this course called La Hinch. They didn't have enough caddies. They knew we were coming. They sent a truck, or they call it a lorry, into town. The truck comes back. It's an open flatbed, like construction truck. There's like seven bodies on it. And I mean, there's two guys sitting on the tailgate. And of course, they're smoking. And then there's five guys that are just laying prone on the, on the truck. 
And we see this truck roll up and the guy, the caddy master is like, yeah, here's your caddies. They're coming in. And we look at this truck and it's like, they just hauled bodies and threw them onto a truck. So these caddies, they come over bring, and bring out your dead. Yeah. 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 They, they literally went to the bar. They walked in they said, Hey, there's, there's eight yanks out here that need caddies. Anybody want to make money? And these caddies, uh, this one guy in our group, he paid his caddy with two, two packs of uh, the Marlboro Red. What do you call them? The Cowboy Killers? Yep. So the caddy accepted two packs of cigarettes, Marlboros, as payment for the loop. That's how much they love to smoke. They smoke all the time. Um, I, I, it's incredible. So these uh, drunks, so the caddies there at La Hinch, they we start out, we're okay. We get to the third hole. There's a hole out there called the Klondike hole. So you're walking down the fairway and there's this huge mound and the caddy says, oh, I'll go up and four caddy for you. I'll go up and make sure there's nobody on the other side. So he goes up and he falls down and we figure, well, he just went down the other side. He doesn't come back. He doesn't come back. We're standing there waiting for him to like give us the all clear. Another caddy runs up, goes up the hill, looks up there and he goes like this and he's like, he's, he's done. The caddy passed out up at the top of the hill, drunk. He was up there vomiting and he just stayed up there. So we left him up at the top of the hill. He never joined us. And uh, as we were going down the fourth, uh, next, we completed the whole, the fifth fairway, we could see them sending a truck out to go hire this, to go haul this guy away. Um, just I could go on and on I mean, story after story. Caddies are there amazing. They're like human retrievers. You can hit a ball 50 yards offline into a wheat field. Now, these are guys that they're smoking, they're drunk, they smell bad, they stink, they don't have half their teeth. Terrible. They will follow your ball, though. They'll walk in a direct line out to this wheat field, and then they'll just point down like this. And they're not out there like circling around, like looking for it. They walk in a straight line. They look back at you and they point down and you get out there and there's your ball. There's your ball. Was uh, you, you had mentioned one of the famous holes over there where you're kind of like hitting out into the ocean. Oh, so yeah, again, Valley Bunyan is so links golf. You're right by the ocean and uh, the strand or the beach as they call it uh, very wide. Um, and there's always wind. The wind is always blowing. Uh, the weather changes every 20 minutes. Real quick story. Somebody asked me when I came home from uh, Ireland, they said, how do I get ready to go play over in Ireland, over in Scotland? I said, here's what you do. I said, put on a turtleneck, put on a sweater, put on Gore-Tex, put on a wool hat, put on your rain gloves, go to the car wash, stand at the opening of the car wash, take out your three iron, hit balls off the concrete and try and hit knockdown shots down the entire length of the car wash while the car wash is running over you. <laughs> so, the car, so you're getting rain and wind and you've got all your clothes on and just hit knockdown shots through the car wash. I said, that's probably a good way to prepare uh, to get used to it because you're always playing in the elements. And then as quickly as it can blow in, it's gone and the sun comes out and it's magical. It's, I mean, we just don't have weather like that here. It just, we just don't have it. So 
we're on this uh, whole Valley Bunyan. It overlooks, I think it's 14. It runs down along the, uh, along the beach there. And there was a, about a, a 30 to 40 knot wind coming in off the beach, off the ocean. And the fairway's in front of me. And the fairway over there, you know, it's, it's just tiny. It looks like it's about 30 yards wide. And the caddy says, aim out there. And I'm like looking over where he's pointing. And he goes, yeah, over there on the distant hilltop. Well, he has me aiming a good, he has me aiming out over the edge of the beach into the ocean just to get my ball to come back into the fairway. Um, something you would never, we would just never play golf in that weather. People over here would just go to the bar and drink all day. They wouldn't even bother playing. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of times where you're aiming out over the ocean and the wind blows the ball back in. We just don't have that kind of wind here. Jack, are you the only golfer, or, uh, Josh and Tim? I know Larry used to golf. I, I don't know. I, I, I mean, I grew up on a golf course when I was little. I played, you know, all the time. Um, you, you know, you, I mean, I'm, I'm probably, a, I'm probably right now, if I went out regular, I could probably be a, an 18 or a 16 maybe, but that that's the kind of golf that lets you play pretty much anywhere and survive. I, I got invited to play on a scramble. And all three of the guys I was playing with were scratch. I contributed one shot to this, <laughs> to the scramble one. It, and I accidentally drained a 32 foot putt. That was, that, that was my con contribution to the whole thing. Perfect. When we were, then they were all like trying to be like, Oh no, it's great. Just have fun. Just have fun. And I had a blast. It was a great time. It got all finished. And I found out that the two guys that invited me to play with them, their brother was the head pro at, um, uh, at a, it's just, a, I won't even say it. It's a super huge golf course. Um, so they, they, I mean, they were all three scratch and, and I just kind of just watched. We were, we had one hole. We were, um, we all four made the approach. We had one on the green, uh, from about 170 yards. We had one on the green about 15 yards out and they said, let's burn our mulligan. They're like 15 feet from the hole. You're going to burn a mulligan at 170. And they put it, they, they put it about five yards from the hole. Sure. I mean, it was like, just, they, they dropped it in. So, I, I don't know. So anyway, I, I, lo I love to watch good golf. Um, I, I, um, I knew Lanny Watkins when I lived in North Carolina. Um, so I've, I've been around golf my whole life. So yeah, I, I really appreciate it. No, my question is, how do you go from that to a tennis pro? So um, I don't know about you guys, but, you know, growing up, uh, you go to a small high school and uh, you just play all the sports. You know, I mean, I literally played whatever was in season, um, you know, grew up playing a lot of baseball, you know, played football, um, you know, loved downhill skiing, um, you know, took a shot at wrestling, but practices were way too hard. I mean, that was just like, <laughs> way too much work. Um, yeah, wrestling practices were the hardest practice next to uh Next to uh, crew in college, wrestling practices were by far the most difficult, you know, and the coach was nuts anyway, you know, he was crazy. Um, basketball, you know, at 5'9", basketball is not my thing. So tennis, uh, I always gyrated towards the individual sports. I played the team sports a lot, but I really kind of found my, my niche with the individual um, Tennis came first, golf was much later, you know, like when I was in, co in college. Um, so I guess it, the eye hand thing, I don't know, you know, it's just, uh, I was lucky where I grew up, uh, there were tennis courts behind my house and 
you know, you would just go play. We just went and played. You know, we were always playing like baseball or tennis or, you know, something. Swimming. I mean, we were always competing or that's just what we did. You know, so um, I just kind of self-taught uh, both sports, you know, really. And then um, got good at it and got around people who were really good at it and uh, were nice enough to share some things with me that helped me get better. So, so this is a, like a Masonic podcast. So in your experience, like in, in golf and, and stuff, have you experienced Freemasonry as you traveled and when you were in Scotland or Ireland or any of that kind of stuff? Did you, did you come across it? Or you mentioned a lot of people are, are Masons. Yeah, I've experienced it. Uh, yeah, I've experienced it here in the States. Over in the UK, uh, Scotland, Ireland, it's a little different. I mean, first of all, you know, when you're over in somebody else's country and you're just kind of on the tourist thing and you're golfing, uh, I mean, I guess, you know, like you guys could probably call up a lodge and say, hey, you know, I'm from such and such lodge and, you know, uh, I'd like to sit in. And they, they would probably welcome you. Most likely they would. Um, I was just there to golf. So when I was overseas, I wasn't thinking Masonic really anything, mm -hmm. but I will, I will tell you this. When I was uh, working at, um, at Sea Island, Georgia, uh, you know, one of the members there was a member at the uh, Brunswick lodge and he had me uh, go to lodge with him in, in Georgia. And I really enjoyed that because I was there for three months and, you know, I didn't know anybody. Uh, I mean, I just knew the guys that were at the golf club and, you know, fellow staff members and some of the members, that kind of thing. But, you know, but this guy was uh, nice. I think he was a dentist in Brunswick and he's like, Oh, you know, you're amazing. Come sit and lodge with us. And you know, that kind of stuff. So the funny story about this guy, I think I've told Pete this is uh, he had a real Southern accent and I just love the Southern accent and I'll do my best to imitate it. So he's, how did he put it? He was talking about the degradation of Sherman and how he annihilated the city. You know, I mean, he was talking, these people were talking about General Sherman from the Civil War <laughs> as if like he just rolled through town last oh, week. Oh, man. <laughs> and, you know, my dad did army training in Georgia. And, uh, you know, he said to me, he goes, now listen, he goes, it's different down there. Uh, he said, there's still some people down there that are pissed off they lost the war. He goes, it's mm -hmm. different. So I, it wasn't quite that bad, but this guy, I never, it was fun. It was fun. I, I got to meet these guys and um, yeah, masonry. Cause I, my car at the time I had, you know, the Masonic symbol on it. And, um, and I think he must've he saw that, you know, the, the badge that I had stuck on the bumper and, and uh, just inquired and, and found out. And I told him what lodge I was with and, and uh, yeah, it was fun. It was a good, good bunch of guys. So it's a nice way to meet people when you travel. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Tim, uh, do you ever golf? I have. Uh, it's been a long time um, to uh, relate to the um, scramble um, example that was given. I was pretty good from about 100 yards in. Um, so um, I would use my one obligatory drive, and hopefully somebody could recover from that. And then uh, I would frequently get, get within about 125 yards in. I was pretty good and was a really decent putter. So, Josh, as long as, you're, as, long as you're the guy that buys the beer, then um, it's yeah, exactly. all okay. Yeah. Josh, are you a golfer? They usually bring me in for, uh, you know, the hole that has the windmill. 
<laughs> All right. I think we're going to let John go soon. Um, John, thank you so much for uh, taking some time with us tonight. Um, really appreciate it. Uh, it's been great to meet you guys. Great to see you uh, as always. And uh, thanks for having me. At the historic Smithton Inn of Ephrata, Pennsylvania, we're pleased to serve the latest creations from Weathered Vineyard Winery, along with spirits from Thistle Finch Distillery in Lancaster, all to be experienced in the tasting room of a beautifully restored 18th century bed and breakfast. Cigars by DNS Cigar are available for your enjoyment in the courtyard. The historic Smithton Inn is convenient to Lancaster County's most interesting attractions. Just minutes from the Ephrata Cloister and the Green Dragon Farmer's Market, and a short drive can get you to charming Lidditz, thriving downtown Lancaster, as well as Hershey, Bird in Hand, and Intercourse, or Valley Forge and Gettysburg. Whether you're looking for a romantic getaway or an active vacation full of sightseeing and attractions, the historic Smithton Inn will be a welcoming oasis from everyday life, one that you'll want to visit again and again. Stop in and visit at 900 West Main Street in Ephrata, Pennsylvania, or check out our website at historicsmithtoninn.com, or simply call us at 717-733-6094. Just ask for Passmaster Dave. Hello, brethren. Dutchy Duck is back with an update from my lodge, the Brogan Pla number 377. Well, the day we have all been waiting for has finally arrived. No, it isn't Chick Day down at the local Agway, although that is a pretty damn important event. Nay, we have finally been given the proverbial green light to return to in-person meetings. Now, after having almost a year off, it makes sense that many of us were nervous, but also excited. Nervous? Why, sure. People worried if they would remember their dialogue. Would my fellow brother know where to walk during the opening and closing? You know, all the normal things you worry about at a Masonic meeting. Many of the brethren were a little apprehensive about returning to Lodge, not knowing exactly what to expect. Since we live so far out in the country, the vaccine hasn't been too widely distributed out here. I heard that Brother Jeremiah Fora drove to a foreign country to get his. Yep, he crossed the Blue Mountains in the Schuylkill County. Now for those of you from Southeast PA, you know exactly what I mean by that last comment. Crossing into the Skook is like going into another country. Just ask Brother Larry Maris. I heard he's an old coal cracker from Schuylkill County himself. Schuylkill County has some PA Dutch enclaves, but a whole lot of people with last names that end in SKI. Heck, they eat pierogies and haluski up there. Why, their churches have onion-shaped domes. It's really like a foreign country up there. In any event, the evening of our meeting had arrived. I have to admit, it was something to see. Everyone in attendance followed all COVID protocols, masks, social distancing, the whole nine yards. And for extra measures, most of the brethren really came prepared. Many had their trusty hoe or rake in hand, making sure to hold it out when another brother approached them. What normally would have been a sign of aggression was just met with a nod of the head and a quick wave of the hand. 
As you know from previous episodes, we Pennsylvania Dutch can be a bit superstitious. And because of that, brother Jack Dahlman had collected dew from his yard during the last full moon. Full moon dew can have healing properties. He placed some in a bowl next to the hand sanitizer at the entrance to the lodge room. One can never be too cautious. Speaking of being overly cautious, many of the brethren stuffed their pockets with dandelion greens. Now for you non-Pennsylvania Dutch out there, dandelion greens are a real culinary treat of us Pennsylvania Dutch people. We only eat them in the spring and they are revered for the body cleansing properties that they have. There is no way that COVID could attack someone all hopped up on dandelion. Throughout the meeting, you could see brothers reach into their pockets and stuff some greens behind their masks into their mouths. The meeting went as well as possible. Sadly, I think we might have motioned and voted on a few things that we didn't need to. With each brother speaking through their masks, many of the comments came through as just muffled words. Brothers would just shout out, I second that motion, without really knowing what the hell they were motioning on. I guess worse things could happen. In the end, we were all glad to be back together, albeit one garden implement away from each other. Till next time, work hard, stay plumb, and on the lights when you leave the room. To learn more about the Pennsylvania Dutch language, culture, and history, please visit my website, padutch101.com, or my YouTube channel, just search Doug Mainford. Masonic news today. It has often been stated that Freemasonry is a shrinking organization. One appendant body is thriving in this modern time. The mythical order of vague problems of exclusive recluses, referred to affectionately as the alcove. Sadly, at a recent consecration of a new alcove, a visiting member brought with him a pestilence-bearing flea, which proceeded to infect several attendees with the bubonic plague. Quick medical attention and the casting of chicken bones seems to have healed the majority of those affected. But one alkavite remains in serious condition. To him we say, fight fiercely, brother, and may the great architect give you and yours strength and peace. That's the Masonic News. So mode it was. Hey, welcome back, everybody. And Larry, Yo. what do you have? We're gonna we're gonna wrap this show up soon. Why don't you get us started off? Are you doing anything in the future? Um, hopefully, we're we going to lodge in April, are we? Yes. Uh, from yeah, okay. the way it's uh, Goose and Gridiron. I'm going there tomorrow. That's it for me. And what's go- what's coming up anniversary wise? I was going to do that at the end of my thing. Oh, I thought this was the end of your thing. No, you. you I don't hear the chickens. Do it now, Larry. Do it now. No, do hey, it, Tim. Do it. Tim, okay. what are you up to? Okay. Well, um, coming up uh, on April the fifth, uh, Eureka West Shore Lodge number three hundred and two will have its April stated meeting. Um, Along with that, we're hosting the District 3 Oyster Feed. 
Um, we're running folks in groups at a time. So uh, uh, you can check out the uh, 302 Facebook page to uh, uh, get information on that. On the 9th of April, I'll be attending the Valley of Harrisburg Lodge of Perfection meeting. Um, and then on the 18th of April, uh, hardly a man who's now alive who remembers that famous day and year. Um, it's actually the anniversary of Paul Revere's ride, but uh, it's also the next meeting of the Cigar Lodge. Um, it'll be up in Drums, Pennsylvania. Uh, and uh, the, I think that we're going to see it come back closer to central Pennsylvania in the next couple of times, but on 18th of April, uh, we'll have that. One special event, and Larry's going to kind of allude to this later, but on April 1st, I'm going to be launching uh, in conjunction uh, about with the uh, podcast here, uh, a new YouTube channel, especially for lodge secretaries. And so um, it's going to be called the Blue Lodge Secretary, and it's going to have a lot of uh, information and training for Blue Lodge Secretaries. Surprise, surprise. Uh, so looking forward to that. Clever name. Yeah. Josh. What's going on? Uh, just uh, doing the uh, the first stated meeting for Lamberton. Um, we're getting back to the Masonic Center. I guess we'll see the uh, the renovations, but other than that, not too much. So, John, while you were gone, there was a, a broken pipe at the Masonic Center, and uh, you know the blue room, the ceiling completely gone. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I think it was like three or four hundred thousand dollars of damage. Uh, but we get we got new carpet, so that's nice. Yeah, right. Wow. Larry, uh, we already know about Jack. What do you have going on, Jack? Well, we're as everybody said, we're back. Um, we're able to practice Freemasonry in Lodge again in April um, under obvious, you know, protocols, but. <laughs> We have a stated meeting at Effort Lodge on the 13th. That's Tuesday, second Tuesday. And following that, on the Saturday following that, we have a third degree, a second degree, and a first degree. Uh, and then on the 22nd, yours truly will be conferring a third degree. Um, so come out and see that if you really have nothing else to do. <laughs> Let's see. What do I have going on? Um Tall Cedars is going to be back in business on the fourth Tuesday. Um, and I think we're going to show the video, Jack. So if you show up, we'll, we'll actually let you have a pyramid. No. I know you've been wanting one of these green pyramids. <laughs> only two and a half years. Okay, cool. Nice. Um, uh, so let's am, I, see. am I okay to bring guests to that, by the way? A couple as people many as you like. Out. Okay. Yeah. And if they happen to be a Mason, I'll make a note if they saw the video. I'll count it later. Nice. Okay. Retroactive. <laughs> okay. Uh, good deal. So John, um, tall cedars meetings are all completely open. So wives, guests, they can see everything. And when we do the degree work, we usually don't have a cast anymore. So we'll just show a video. Um, anybody can see the video, but then we take the members into the back to get the, the secret hokey pokey. Um, <laughs> Away from everybody else, but other you than have to that, put your left foot in and then your left foot out. Is that a thing? It's close. It's All close. Right. So let's see. April twenty third, twenty fourth, twenty fifth. The Pennsylvania Grotto Association will be in Lancaster at the Ho at the Holiday in Lancaster, which John would know as the Brunswick. That's well, the other PGA. Yeah, the uh, they 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 dropped a lot of money 
into the Brunswick. They evicted all the people that were rooms by the week. And it's a beautiful hotel now. So uh, nice. that's where we'll be. And I guess, John, are you doing anything Masonically? Masonic. Talking to us, I guess, right? Right now, no. Um, there are uh, there's some lodges down here in Charleston. Um, but, you know, I haven't done anything Masonically. Uh, oh, good heavens. Ed, Ed Stum is down there right now. You just go stand outside and yell for Ed Stum. He's there. Okay. He can't hear, though, so it's good. You better yell, loud. <laughs> yell really loud. <laughs> he got his hearing aids working, by the way. Oh, because I knew he was getting a a cochlear implant. Yeah, cochlear implants, yeah. Okay. All right, Larry, take us out of here. Yes. (laughs) All right. Special thanks to Everlodge665 for maintaining our studio while we're not there. Thanks to our, yeah, thanks to Josh Lamberton, our producer and director, who always makes the show great. Thanks to Jack Harley, our news director, and Tim Dedman, our marketing director. And to our Masonic Light contributors, Michelle Snyder and Doug Madden. I just want to take the time to mention the fact that the month of April is special for Masonic Light Podcast because four years ago, we began this show, and we begin our fifth year broadcasting in April which leads us to some of the discussions we've been having about what are we going to do in our fifth year that we haven't done in years one through four. And we've come up with some ideas, and Tim has come up with some very good ideas. So, Tim, I turn this closing part back over to you. Tell us what we're thinking about doing. Well, as I mentioned earlier, we're going to be launching uh, the Blue Lodge Secretary uh, YouTube channel powered by the Masonic Light Podcast. Um, So again, uh, Blue Lodge Secretaries, look for that information on April the 1st. All right, I know what we can do different. We could actually have a script and we could stick to it. (laughs) Yeah. Try that. We had that hasn't worked for five years. We can do that. We can do that. Yeah. I think we can do a dedicated show just to uh, the beginning of our fifth year down on the line because there's just a lot of things we're talking about doing. The possibilities of uh, maybe help me here, guide me. Josh, you can cut this out if I'm overstepping. Uh, about possibly doing some YouTube for us. That's scary. Uh, <laughs> videoing some of the shows, things like this. So, I mean, we're, we're, we're thinking about expanding our horizons. Paper airplane folding. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. Hey. Cigar right. rolling. Cigar rolling. That could work. Yeah. All right. Josh, somehow make this ending sound good. All right. Good night, everybody. Good night, everybody. Good night, everybody. Bye, guys. Peace.